0: On this election day, 2020, let us uh, have in our prayer view today the people of Austria following the horrific terror attack, organized, orchestrated terror attack yesterday. Uh, the the death count continues to rise as people succumb to um, the gunshot injuries sustained yesterday. Let us be praying ardently. Uh, for and with the people of Austria in the midst of this, particularly the Jewish community, uh, targeted in what is not only an Islamist attack, but an anti-Semitic uh, attack, specifically uh, carried out at a at a synagogue. I want to be praying today also for the people in the path of Hurricane Eta. Um, we ran out of uh, of names using the English alphabet, and so we are now working our way through the Greek alphabet. Uh, You may remember uh, Hurricane Zeta, um, the aftermath of which many uh, people in the southeastern United States are still in the midst of cleaning up. Uh, But now Hurricane Eta, a Category 5 hurricane, is threatening Central America, some of the poorest countries um, in in our hemisphere. Nicaragua is in the crosshairs first, and then it looks like Honduras. The thing may then sweep back around into the Gulf of Mexico, and then obviously becomes a concern for those in the lower 48. So on this election day, um, I'm going to encourage us to be a people of prayer. And um, so here's a here's a practical way to pray. Um, Pray for each of the 50 states. You got a little uh, more time and you want to pay a little more uh, attention, you could pray for the 435 congressional districts. Now, What's not fun about that is that they're numbered. They're not named. So here's a named way to pray more specifically. Instead of just for 50 states, you could pray for the 3,141 counties in the United States. And you say to yourself, that's too many. I can't do that. All right. If you live in Minnesota, there are 87. What would it look like for you to pray for each by name for each of the 87 counties in your if you live in Minnesota in your state? If you live in a different state, you know, you got to Google it. What are the counties in my state? they listed alphabetically. They're listed numerically, all kinds of ways um, you could pray today. And so let me encourage you to consider that. I made a list of all of the counties in the country where I have lived over the course of my lifetime. So I am going to pray today for Newton County, Indiana, Hillsborough County, Florida, Uh, Pinellas County, Florida, Alachua County, Florida. It's going to start sounding like a military family, but it wasn't. Um, Mercer County, New Jersey, Orange County, California, Harris County, Texas, Rabin County, Georgia, Orange County, Florida, Beaufort County, South Carolina, Cheatham County, Tennessee, Caldwell County, North Carolina, um, in the order that I could remember living places, not necessarily in the order that I lived in them. Pray today for specific counties and the people who live there. Pray today for the public servants who serve there. Uh, Pray today for the members of Congress and the people whose jobs are tied to the jobs of those who are going to be elected today. And pray today for all the people whose jobs are tied to the jobs of those people who will not be elected today. I want to talk for a moment about that group of people, the people who will not win today. Have you ever run for anything? Have you ever run for anything and lost? Okay, I still sting a little bit. There's still a little bit of sting in me from the ninth grade uh, election that I lost to Mike Maddox, who happens to be um, one of my very best friends in the whole world. But it still stings a little bit that my classmates elected Mike to be president and not me. When you put yourself out there and you run for something, you know, some people vote for you. You should be excited about that. But when more people vote for somebody else, like it burns, it stings. And we want to We want to celebrate with those who are going to celebrate today, but we also want to recognize that a lot of people are not going to win today. More people are going to lose today than are going to win today in terms of people who put themselves forward, put their names out there, put themselves out there, put their names on signs and bumper stickers, put their life on hold, put their family in a media spotlight, put their ideas on the record, ask for campaign contributions, ask for your vote. It's not just the people running for president and the people running for Congress in the U.S. Senate. It's people running at all positions of state and, in some cases, local government, people with real feelings and real families. These are our fellow citizens here in the United States of America, and some of them are going to also be our fellow citizens in the kingdom of heaven, but not all of them. And so before you pass on some negative trope or denigrate anyone today, anyone whose name appears on the ballot today, I want you to consider how God sees them. And I want you to recognize that um, elections matter absolutely, but the precious people who put themselves forward on every side of every ticket matter more. So, as Christians, let's be focused on that today, um, seeing people as God sees them. All right, Justin Gibney is waiting right now. He and I have lots of conversations to have on this election day. You can find him at the And Campaign. We'll be right back. All right, joining me now, Justin Gibney. You can find him at andcampaign.org. Justin, welcome back.
1: Hey, Carmen, glad to be here.
0: All right, this is a day of great anticipation and great anxiety. And I hope for the people of God, a day of prayer and thanksgiving and good behavior and peacemaking and um, mutual forgiveness for the places where we need it. And then uh, moving forward together regardless of who wins, um, as people who want to see our nation make good policy decisions because precious people are, um, are in the path of what the government does.
1: Yeah, that's right. I think uh, today is going to be a, a test of faith for a lot of people. And so the Anne campaign has uh, challenged Christians uh, to pray, uh, to stay away from any kind of negative partisanship or any arguments um and just to be peacemakers uh this is a moment that regardless of what happens we need to you know have a public witness that is about healing uh no argument you get into today about politics is going to change anything uh so so kind of go vote say a prayer and do your best to love people um uh, focus on you know community service and things of that nature
0: so my first question uh to people who want to get in a in a heated conversation about things political right now. My first question is, have you already voted? And if they've already voted and I've already voted, then I encourage us to just move on to something else, because it's not like you're going to influence me at this point. I already voted and you already voted. So anyway,
1: right. that's and, one and of the my... the likelihood of influencing somebody, especially through insults or, you know, all this right? other stuff. We got a whole bunch of tweets last minute, uh, people um, kind of guessing, speculating on who we were voting for and, and kind of <laughs> going in on that. And it's just, it's not going anywhere. <laughs>
0: All right, um Kamala Harris has actually talked about her own faith and how it might influence um, a Biden Harris White House. I thought that was an interesting topic to have you uh, reflect on a little bit so um what what do we think we know about Kamala Harris, her faith and how it might affect uh, a Biden administration?
1: well yeah she you know she she's expressed that she has a belief in God that was raised in in, uh, in, a, in the church in in Oakland uh, where her and her sister would um attend. Um, and, and so I hope it does impact the way that uh, uh, they govern if they are to win today. Um, but but I'm not you know, maybe we've talked about this. I'm, I'm not one to just get really excited about somebody uh, during a campaign talking about their faith. I, I like to hmm. see the application. Uh, and so I'm not I'm going to take her word for it. Uh, I, I am a little worried about some of the things that she has said in some of these Judiciary uh, Committee hearings about faith. Uh, It wasn't obvious to me that she felt that strongly about, you know, religious freedom. And so I I just want to see it. Uh, You know, anyone can have that conversation during a campaign and there's obvious benefits to it. But it's really about and whether it's a Democrat or Republican, it's really about the application of it. Who are you going to be in in, in office? Uh, And so we'll just have to see. And I I feel the same way about a lot of other candidates. It's about what are you going to do, not just trying to find a place to kind of connect with with a certain group.
0: Oh, I think that's really helpful. That's really helpful. Um, Hey, Justin, when we come back, um, I would like for you to um, engage in a little exercise. Uh, I'll I'll describe it this way. Based on um, who you know Martin Luther King Jr. to have been, based on the principles he espoused in his day, what might we imagine that he would say or do in a in the context of the conversations we're having today, because we think when we talk about peacemakers and we talk about people actually applying the full force of their life, you know, to the positive advancement of conversations in this country. I don't know a better example than MLK. And so um, would you would you do that with us in just a minute? Let's do it. All right. We'll be right back. I'm talking with Justin Gibney. You can find him at andcampaign.org. Continue my conversation with Justin Gibney. You can find him at andcampaign.org. Um all right, Justin. Imagine for us, speculate for us based on the principles that Martin Luther King Jr. espoused uh in his day, what do we imagine he might say or do
2: today?
1: Uh I I think he would I think he would be calling us to those greater Christian principles. Uh the principle of justice. I think he would be uh, telling us to 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 vote based on an understanding of and value of justice and who we think uh represents that the best, I think he would also be calling us to to be peacemakers and and peacemakers aren't those who ignore the issues and just act like everything's okay through a kind of kumbaya moment. I think there are people who can act with grace who can win or lose and not be a sore winner or a sore loser, but look for opportunities to work with our brothers and sisters and our neighbors to make things better. Uh, I think at all costs, you try to really kind of uh, avoid the divide that we see uh, so many times. And so we need to make sure that uh, the focus that we have is on uh, those greater principles and not on all the pettiness that we often see. And, And so, you know, I'm advising people today, not to retweet any partisan negativity, you know, not to go back and forth with anybody today. Seek opportunities to love people, to encourage people, and let people know that regardless of what happens in this moment, uh, we're going to be okay and we're going to keep fighting for justice and moral order.
0: Amen. Um, all right. I am noting that you are um, in an American Enterprise Institute Initiative for Faith and Public Life documentary entitled For Love of Neighbor. First of all, that's kind of cool um, to be in a documentary. Tell us a little bit about that experience. And then um, what's it about? What is the American er, you know, AEI, as people may know it, um, American Enterprise Institute's Initiative for Faith and Public Life? And what is this documentary For Love of Neighbor?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's talking about approaching politics differently, and approaching it in a more aspirational and hopeful manner. Uh, I think a huge part of politics is about uh, protecting the human dignity of others. And if we see it that way, rather than seeing politics as an opportunity to primarily protect our own interests, then I think we approach it differently. Uh, if we see the humanity and the dignity in our neighbor, even when they don't like us, even when they vote differently than us, or even when they have uh, insults or criticism for us, then we go about the um, the duty of, of of civic engagement in a lot different way. And that's really from a lot of different perspectives. Uh, you know, a lot of the folks on, on that uh, documenti- documentary don't agree, but we do think there are some principles that we have in common and that we need to emphasize.
0: All right. And then, Justin, um, I mean, you and I both know that there are places across the country where you know, not just businesses, but lots of other buildings are being boarded up. Apparently, they've placed some additional perimeter fence, uh, a not a fence that can't be climbed. I don't know what that means, but um, around the White House, um, uh, there are lots of people anticipating pretty bad behavior by Americans um, following or maybe in the midst of today, following today, I don't know. It's hard It's hard for me to imagine people are going to behave as badly as all of this preparation indicates. Um, but there's at least one group of people that I I just recently came on my radar, and it's called the NFAC. And I'm not associating them with the predictions or concerns that people have about violence. I'm just saying that when I saw pictures of this group, it made me nervous. As nervous as it makes me to see um, white supremacist uh, with automatic weapons marching in the streets of America. So can you just tell me what, if anything, you know about NFAC um, and, and, I don't know, just the, the place we're at in terms of maybe our militarized opposition to one another in the streets?
1: Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I don't know a whole lot. Um, I I think we need to remain vigilant. I've talked to a lot of friends that are just worried about the outcome and how the left might react or how the right might react. Uh, I I completely understand the preparation in cities and folks being ready because we've, as you know, we've seen a lot of violence lately. And so being prepared to protect our citizens is always important. I would hope, whether it's Left-leaning groups or right-leaning groups that these executives, these governors, and these mayors are ready to do what's necessary to stop the violence. Uh, there is no reason after this election that any anybody should be hurt, anybody any property should be torn up. That is just not the right response. And so, I am hoping that folks are ready to govern and not try to kind of be affirmed by one side or the other, but do what's best for the the whole community and all their constituents. And so uh I, I like that people are t- I like that they're taking precautions hopefully they're not needed but I think it's better to be safe than sorry and some of these groups that are trying to incite you know fear and rage just need to be um you know uh we we need to stay away from as much as we can and we need to condemn it as loud as possible especially uh, our leaders
0: Justin I um I look forward to talking with you in the coming weeks um whatever the outcome is um what, why don't I'm, I'm neither one of us. Um, I oh, Well, let me say it this way. I don't expect us to know tonight or maybe even tomorrow morning the outcome of the U.S. presidential election. But there are many other races um, in play. And I do think that we will know the outcomes of many of those. Um, although in some states, you know, we're not I mean, maybe in Alaska, we're not going to know the outcome of their Senate race. And it and it does matter in these states. Can you just remind everybody Um, You know, there's a lot of layers of an election, and when we get overly fixated on just the ticket at the very top, sometimes we lose sight of all of the things that we're voting on in our communities, and ultimately all politics is local.
1: That's right. Uh, We can really, you know, there's a huge emphasis, especially in the media, on the presidency, and obviously that's a, a huge moment, but it's not the whole of what's going on in the civic arena today. Uh, There are local races that you need to be paying attention to, that you need to be voting on. And in many cases, those local races may have a more of a direct impact on you. Uh, Maybe they're a smaller win that you can be excited about and not be focused on a loss that you might take today or any of us might take today. So, uh, you know, we just have to have a more broad view of what politics is that just surpasses uh, this one vote on the presidency.
0: Justin um as always thank you so much. Um what's going on with the Church Politics podcast since your um you know your your partner in that has <laughs> uh has moved on to some other things. So give us an update cuz the Church Politics podcast is one I really enjoy.
1: Yeah, so I've been doing it solo uh for the last two episodes. I I'm going to bring on some people and try them out. I probably will take on a, a, another uh co-host. I don't want people just listening to me. I want them to listen to the framework because it's not just about my opinions. And so I want, want to bring on some other smart, uh, faithful Christians to talk about uh, politics. And and so just stay tuned because it's going to uh, get better.
0: Well, it's uh, it's excellent. And we appreciate your contribution to the conversation on the Church Politics Podcast at the Ann Campaign, um, and certainly when you visit with us here on Mornings with Carmen. So thank you so much.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: We'll be right back. All right. Coming up next um, in this month of Thanksgiving and in this day of uh, political discourse, we're actually going to talk about poverty and prosperity. We're going to talk about the who, the what, the why. And we're also going to talk about the cure. What is the poverty cure? Michael Madison Miller from the Acton Institute, povertycure.org, joins me next to talk about all that. We'll be right back.
2: Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. John chapter 9 and verse 38. This is Max Locato. The story begins with a blind man seen by Christ, and it ends with a was blind man worshiping Christ. Is this not the desire of Jesus for us all? Apart from Christ, we are blind. We cannot see our purpose. We cannot see the future. We cannot see Jesus, but he sees us from head to foot. If God tested your spiritual vision, would you pass it? Can you see the meaning of life? Have you caught a vision for eternity? Most of all, can you see God's great love for you? The hand you sense on your face is His. The voice you hear is His. Our vision matters to Jesus, and He will do whatever it takes to help us see how to see. Remember, my friend, you are never alone. This is Max Locato.
0: joining me now is Michael Matheson Miller from the Acton Institute. We are going to talk about uh poverty cure. We're going to invite you to check out povertycure.org. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen.
3: Good morning. Thanks for having me on your show.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um all right, so your preferred goes by name. What do you want me to My call pre- you?
3: Oh, pardon me. Oh, Michael is fine. Yes, is Michael. that right? Is that
0: you're yeah, right. well because, you know, you could be like any variety of Michael. And I don't want to be, you know, I met a woman yesterday who her name that she wants to be called is nothing like the name that she was introduced as. And we were like 10 minutes into our conversation before anybody told me that. And so then it just felt rude. So there you go, Michael. Thank you. I'm I'm just Carmen.
3: Just because it sounds kind of like somewhere between like a rock star and like, you know, mysterious globe, you know, but but I actually never actually go by globe ever. But you can just call me Michael.
0: But you could. Now now we know. Now we know.
3: If I were awesome, I could. But I think I have to become awesome first.
0: So I had this conversation with a um, with a rapper once and his um, his goes by name is actually just the mere image of his given name. And so during our conversation, I went as Nimrak because that is the reverse of my given name, Carmen. So my literal alter ego is NIMRAC, in case you ever needed to know that. And I now know that yours is Globe. And so now we can carry on with our conversation.
3: Now we can actually um, get something done. Now that we're super cool, we can get something done. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Um. Oh, it's too so far too late for that. Um, Michael, let's talk about poverty. I think that we imagine that we know what it is. I think that we imagine we know what causes it. Um, those may not even be the right questions to be asking if what we really want is to cure it.
3: Right. So, I mean, I think one of the things we say, I mean, first of all, let's put it this way. So in a sense, poverty is not a sickness, right? Poverty is the normal situation of of, of human beings. And so at the center of the economy is the human person. And so sometimes we're asking the wrong questions. We're asking, like, how do we stop poverty? How do we end poverty? Um, But I think a better question, of course, is, you know, how do people create prosperity in their families and their communities? And so a lot of the way we think about poverty is we look, say, at poor people. And I think we have a heart for the poor, right? You know, we know that pure religion is to care for the widow and the orphan in their distress and keep oneself unstained from the world. Uh, And we look at poor people and we think, oh, we gotta do something. We gotta do something. We gotta solve this problem. Um, but it's really, I think, ends up happening is we end up kind of objectifying poor people. We make poor people a problem, we make poverty a problem. We turn poor people into like objects of our charity or our compassion, right, or our pity. But really, uh poor people are human persons just like us, right? And um And they should be the protagonists of their own story of development. And so a lot of what we're trying to do at Poverty Cure, Poverty Inc., is to reframe the debate centered around the human person who is the subject of economics and who is the source of prosperity.
0: Okay, so that shift, and I just wrote that down, um, to find ways and pathways to enable and equip, come alongside. I don't know what the language is here. A person who is obviously in the situation of poverty is impoverished. What might be a first relational step toward that individual in terms of helping them become the protagonist of the conversation?
3: Well, I mean, I think so the first relational step, I mean, it actually it's, you know, we always want to do something right away my Carmen. So, um, we, we immediately want an action. And I think the first kind of action is to, to see the problem as it is. So, you know, like, so I'm gonna do a little bit of philosophy. So, you know, there's four classical, like kind of cardinal virtues, right? These are the hinge virtues upon which all the moral life uh, hangs. And there's justice and prudence and temperance and courage. And it's really interesting because the mother of the virtues is prudence, now, we think about prudence like, oh, you got to be careful. You know, remember George Bush? Uh, remember Dana Carvey used to do that imitation? Like, not going to do it. Wouldn't be mm-hmm. prudent. Right? Mm. And so we think prudence, right? When I was president, there was no prudence. I don't want to talk about that, though. What I want to talk about is that when we think there's prudence, right? We think, oh, you got to be careful. But that's not what it is. It's actually seeing the world as it is and acting accordingly. And so in order for us to be just or charitable right, or brave, or temperate, we first have to see the world as it is, and act accordingly. So I would say that first, and well, what you want to say action, is to try to be in an intersubjective relationship with the person, to see the people that we're trying to help as persons like us, and then ask, okay, how would we, what would we want? What, what would do what do they want? And by actually relating with them as persons, and not with kind of a problem to be solved, or We're the hero to solve the problem that changes absolutely like just changes the way we begin to see the problems and then now we're in an intersubjective relationship and now we can start to have information and figure out you know how can we come alongside you how can we help you and i think again you know you know this is it you we forget the we 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 think of the golden rule and moral morality but i mean also just thinking about how we help others how would we want to be helped and, um, you know, let me just give a quick example. I mean, somebody gave this. It's in the film Poverty, Inc. Um, you know, like we help orphans and, and, and or people who are struggling with, with poverty and they, their children. And one of the things that, like one of the ways a guy describes it, he says, like, imagine if somebody said to you, you know, I know your things are tough right now and you, it's hard to feed your children. How about I take your children? Like you say, well, mm. no, I. I to take my children, I just need a job, right? I mean, that's an extreme situation, but that's the kind of thing that happens, Carmen. So I think that first action, quote unquote, is prudence. Seeing the world as it is. If I need to help you, Carmen, I need to ask you questions. I can't. I don't just come in and solve your problem.
0: Uh, so I love that you you surface that that example because I I think that's so that's at our heart. Like, right? I would want help keeping my kids in my own home. Um, I don't want you to take them away. I want you to help me figure out how to be more prosperous in order that I can provide for them. That is, that, man, that is speaking a language that everyone can understand. Um, and we've certainly seen how removing kids from a home um, where, you know, the issue is not, I mean, obviously they need to be, they need to be cared for in a way that's not abusive. So this, we're not talking about abuse situations. We're talking about um, a, a situation of need, of privation. Right. And so if we as a community could equip and help that single mom or that single dad or that young couple create prosperity for themselves and for their own family, we're all better off. I th- I think that's what you're saying.
3: Well, yeah, I think that's, I mean, I think that's, that's right. Exactly right. That we're, because we're, we're in a relation with them. And I think the other thing mm-hmm. is that when we talk about ideas, like ideas shape how we think. So one of the something as you were talking, it struck me, you know this is what charity is, right? So one of the problems we have is that we've really replaced charity with humanitarianism, right mm. and so it sounds like kind of academic, but if you think about it, so charity right comes from the Latin word caritas it's related to the 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 Greek agape, and charity is to seek the good of the other. it's an act of will to will the good of the other person. So desire, desire that person's um, benevolence, right? That's what charity is. Now, humanitarianism is kind of like a secular form, a hollowed out form of Christian love. And that says, oh, I want to provide comfort for you. I want to make sure that you have enough food and all these things. Now, of course, Christian charity includes making sure that a hungry person has food. Right, it includes caring for the sick, but it actually keeps human flourishing in mind. And then, of course, as, for people of faith, it it keeps the eternal destiny in mind as well. Humanitarianism doesn't just neglect the 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 eternal destiny, right? What Lewis calls the you know everyone's called the everlasting splendor. It it also neglects really human flourishing. So the problem is, oh, you're poor. Let me let me provide comfort to solve that problem. But what we really need is what we really need in more than more than comfort is we need people need to be able to take care of their own family and their own children etc etc etc
2: All
0: right I'm going to continue my conversation with Michael Matheson Miller you can find him on Twitter at m matheson miller you can also find him at michaelmathesonmiller.com that's a great place to connect with his podcast as well we are talking today about Poverty Cure. And you can find that at PovertyCure.org. When we come back, he's going to tell us about the movie Poverty, Inc. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Globe, also known as Michael Matheson Miller from the Acton Institute. You can find what we're talking about today at PovertyCure.org. Uh, you're never, you're, Michael. You may never recover from that.
3: Okay, but what's yours again? It's the it's the it's uh, Carmen, uh, what's it? Nemrak.
0: Nemrak. You just turned Carmen around, and yeah, Nemrac. Nemrac. that's kind
3: of like that. To be honest, I don't know who sounds more like a villain, you or me. Globe. Oh no, Globe. I'm
0: definitely. I would say in that relationship, I'm definitely the villain.
3: <laughs> kind of a villain sound, whereas Globe, you know. <laughs> Could be dangerous, but I could come to like help you. So it's, it's if safe.
0: you were to Google Nimrak, she is like the destroyer of the world or something horrible like that.
3: Okay, like, I know. I think and and Globe
0: clearly not. You're like you know God's got the whole world in his hands. You're you're benevolent. <laughs> you're caring. I can tell. Yeah. Um, so um, tell us about the movie first of all, and then. I really want to invite people into this video curriculum conversation as well um, that you guys have. So talk about uh, Poverty, Inc.
3: Okay, sure. So um, so Poverty, Inc. is a documentary film. It's a, f- a full-length film, about 90 minutes, and it's really made for general audiences. So we, we made a couple of things. We made a Poverty Cure DVD series, like a curriculum, and that's specifically for Christian audiences. Why? Because, you know, again, we said, what's pure religion? To care for the widow and the orphan in the distress. So think of all the calls throughout the Hebrew Bible and the books of the New Testament, caring for the poor, it's so much part of our tradition. So we wanted to engage it that way. But Poverty, Inc., we also wanted to just look at really a critique of humanitarianism, a critique of um, what we talked about, this objectification of the poor, and put it in uh, in a way that gets out into the general audience. And so um, we've been really happy. I mean, we've played in over 60 film festivals. Uh, it's been reviewed in Variety magazine uh, a Wharton Business, Harvard Business Review, uh, I think he's mentioned in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times. Uh, we've got endorsements from people all over the political spectrum. I mean, free market economists to like Michael Moore, uh, Ran, I'm sorry, Ron Paul's people were tweeting it, Bernie Sanders people were tweeting it. So we were happy that we really were able to engage this question of how to think about poverty, you know, really from the subject of the person. So that's Poverty, Inc. You can find it on it's still on Netflix, I think, but not instant. It's on instant on Amazon Prime. It's on iTunes. And then Poverty uh, Cure is also on Amazon. And, of course, you can find it at Acton.org or PovertyCure.org. And there's one more thing I want to talk about, too, if it's okay, Carmen. I we hope actually, it's the, the
0: virtual end, conference.
3: Yeah, it is. That's what I was going to say. Yay! So we, actually, we have um, coming up in November. Uh, it's <clears throat> November uh, 18th and 19th. Uh, it's uh, live. It's both like a – you know digital and also like a live conference as well from one to five Eastern time. So that's a uh, 12 to four your time. Uh, <clears throat> it's a, it's called the poverty cure summit. And so, uh, it's really looking at both global poverty, which is what poverty Inc and poverty cure are focused on, but also at domestic poverty. And so we have a number of speakers. We have a uh, Peter Greer from hope international, Anthony Bradley from King's college. He's going to talk about incarceration. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, we have, um, the idea of the, fam- the family and success sequence, so Brad Wilcox from the University of Virginia. Um, also, um, questions on technology and, and, and unemployment, right? So this is a question, like, what's happening with technology? And so we have Jay Richards and then a German uh, 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 academic named Carl Frey. Um, we'll be thinking about enterprise poverty and, and reduction in Africa. Uh, questions of universal basic income. Um, actually an interesting one on the sexual revolution and poverty in America, right? So we think about the sexual revolution kind of in cultural terms. Uh, but if you think about what happens with the sexual revolution, it starts to have profound effects on marriage, um, on, on children born out of wedlock. And of course, who suffers the most for that, right? Poor people do. So we're going to look at that. Uh, and then we have a number of really, um, great, great speakers. So if people are interested, it's, it's poverty cure summit dot org. You can find it at povertycure.org or actin.org. Uh but it's the poverty cure uh summit. So I I, I think it's going to be really interesting. And we you can register now and then there'll be stuff we can see. You know, you can start looking at stuff pretty soon and then there'll be that live conference where people can watch and, and ask questions. And um we're hoping it's going to be a really interesting and engaged conference.
0: Yeah. It's it just looks like a fantastic lineup. We look forward to uh, knowing, um, you know how God uses it, and encourage people to participate um, if they're interested. There's just tons of great resources on this. I think that it's a, it's such a shift in conversation and shift in thinking for people um, on on the topic of of poverty. I mean, the first move I have to make is seeing seeing the other individual first of all as an individual, um, and recognizing that they are the protagonist in their own story, and sort of how to. Um, how to come alongside them in that um, in an appropriate way. That's what I hear you saying. I mean, am I getting kind of the gist of how the shift begins to happen in me in terms of uh, understanding poverty and then, um, you know, the, the conversation about what it looks like for any individual to create prosperity in their own life and for their family and community, that's going to be as unique to the individual as the individual themselves.
3: Right, I think that's I think that's right. I mean, that's the first shift, right? And it sounds like a small shift, but it's not. It's the question of whether are we looking at persons as objects, or are we looking at persons as subjects and protagonists of their own story of development. So there's two two things I want to say that are related. I mean, if you look at the 20th century, and 21st as well, but the 20th century, one of the big problems with all these <clears throat> technocratic, um, massive political movements that were that were evil, right? So communism. And, and the German National Socialism, the Nazis, right, and you see a communism in its various forms, Russia, China, Vietnam, wherever it is, um, <clears throat> is that it, it was this idea that people are simply matter, and we can just shape them and move them along to do whatever we want with them because they're objects. And this, of course, breaks its way into Western ideas as well because these ideas come out of the West, a lot of them, uh, you know, capitalism too, can be a problem. Now I support, you know, competitive economies. I think giving people economic liberty is very important and we can talk about that in a second. But if we turn people into cogs for the capitalist machine, right, or cogs for the glory of the state, people are not objects to be manipulated. People are subjects to be respected. And so I think that's the first thing. And then the second thing is we talked about, you asked about like how people create prosperity. Now, some of it's unique to their situation, right? Each person is a different situation. But one of the things we see, especially in the developing world, but it applies in the United States as well, um, <clears throat> in different forms, but especially in the developing world is look at certain things that we take for granted here in the United States. Where, why do entrepreneurs, why do small business people emerge so easily here? Because we have certain key things. When I talk to undergraduate students, I say, how many people want to be an entrepreneur? And they raise their hand and say, okay, let's look, let's imagine you're living in, say, Sub-Saharan Africa or, or Latin America or whatever. And let's say 50 to 60% of the land has no clear title. So you don't know who owns the land you live on. Rule of law, it's hard to get your contracts enforced. It takes 20 years to get your court case heard. I mean, that's the study from the Center for Research of Governance in India. It's very expensive. You can't register your business in the formal economy overnight on Zoom or something. What's it called? I mean, legal Zoom. You, it takes 100 days or 200 days and costs, you know, thousands of dollars, right? Do you think you'd immediately be an entrepreneur? And people say, no, like their hands go down. Like poor people aren't dumb. They're living in, the, in an area with, with these things that we take for granted that they don't have. And so part of what we have to do is think about how can poor people get access to the institutions of justice? And I think mm-hmm. that applies here in the United States as well in a different way. We have private property, and we have much better rule of law, of course, but <clears throat> think of the things that if you need to get something done, you have access. you know people who know things, you have maybe a friend who's a lawyer or you know a friend who's a doctor you can call a lot of poor people don 't have that kind of access that we take for granted so a lot of so the first part of course, is thinking as people as sub as as subjects and not objects. Second, redoing that concept of charity, where, for example. We we don't think simply of just providing comfort, but promoting human flourishing. And then three, how do poor people get access to the institutions of justice? How do people poor people get access to be able to to have ability to to be able to create prosperity in their own in their own communities? And so I think what we need to do are the look at there's more than that. But these three things.
0: So yeah, we, we have to start with
3: just start somewhere charity. Yeah and access.
0: I love it. All right. Um, Michael Matheson Miller, we have to leave it right there. I want people to follow up at povertycure.org. Consider the uh, virtual conference being held November 18 and 19 by the Acton Institute, the Poverty Cure Summit. Check out the movie Poverty Inc. Did I miss anything? Follow Uh, Michael on Twitter at M Matheson Miller. All good?
3: Great. Thanks. Thanks, thanks, Thanks. Carmen. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you so
0: much, Globe. Until next time.
3: Okay. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. All right.
0: We'll talk again soon. Uh, Hey, friends, we got to let Michael go, but then we'll be right back. All right. I want to encourage you today to represent Christ in the world that God so loves. I'm going to be praying for you. you be praying for me. We will be right back here tomorrow no matter what happens tonight. And also recognizing that we're going to have to be people of patience, even as we are people of peace. All right, get out there and vote. Pray, be kind, show mercy, all the good things. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app.